0: Hello, I'm Derek Wheatley, and this is the Weekly Weekly Podcast. A podcast with a name that I'm actually struggling to say most of the time. But you picked it when I put it to you of four different names. So I guess I'm stuck with it, and it's my fault. Um, I know what you're thinking as well. You're thinking this guy has got a real suave, deep kind of voice. This is not my natural speaking voice. Uh, I do have a bit of of a cold at the moment. I'm taking three or four different things to kind of quell the sniffs and the coughs um um, taking enough things to be almost tipping over the point of lucidity but you know please bear with me uh i won't sound like this every week um i guess the first thing i wanted to start on was the reasons for starting this podcast in the first place um you know there was there was people that were reading my blog that i started i don't know it could have been a year and a half two years ago um and i i, I started talking about my journey um with mental health with anxiety with um the depression i was diagnosed with initially um and then i was uh, maybe five years after that diagnosed with bipolar 2 um which is a lesser of the bipolar it's basically it's um It's a hypomania rather than a than a a hypermania, so the highs and lows aren't quite as extreme, and there's more lows than highs. Um, But I'll get into that a bit later. But you know when I was talking about this on my blog, and each uh, each week to uh, every week or two, I would put up a blog. People would actually respond, that come to me and talk to me about it, and they might even talk about their own anxiety that they may have or somebody in their family or someone in their life and you know I don't have all the answers unfortunately but I you know that's the whole point it's to talk and to share experiences and to be able to kind of give people tips on how you have dealt with it um and people are still teaching me um on how you know I um should deal with it in my life and get through a day um by using things that sometimes you forget you think oh um i'm really down and you don't think what can get me out of it and what not usually gets me out of it and you you go back into your shell you'll stay in bed or you'll you know you'll um lock yourself away and you know obviously that's a brutal kind of way to go but it seems at the time that's the best way to go so um another reason why why I wanted to talk about it is that to have genuine discussions with people that you may not be able to have in your in your everyday life you you talk to I don't know how many people today on average depending on your circumstances but you never re- you talk on surface levels you never really get deep on things so when I bring people in here and we uh, get chatting the, the sole purpose is to do that so we will you know we will be able to go into the things like uh, mental health we will be able to go into things like um you know wh- why we feel uh, the way we feel in cer- certain circumstances why we we're kind of we jam ourselves into these positions where i guess we feel we're stuck but we're not we're not really stuck we're not you know locked into anything and I think that some people can free us of that just by their own journey or their own outlook in life. So to be able to talk to people like that is going to be it's going to be great. And uh, f- for for me, hopefully for anybody listening and obviously the person who comes over. Um, and that's the, that's another thing for myself. This podcast will give me some confidence. It'll give me a goal and a project and um, something to look forward to every week and. Um, you know a chance to communicate with uh, people i may have never met before if it wasn't for this podcast or if it wasn't for me um putting it out there that i was going to be doing this and then the you know there's so much uh support that i've got since i've talked about it so that's the reasons or they are the reasons that uh i wanted to start this um they are very much the reason why um i think we can help each other um i hope we can help each other um and you know try and be positive about it and not be oh but god my voice is terrible and my accent is awful and you know i'm not thinking about that except when my voice sounds like this like james mason or something but okay so what there yeah so the first couple of episodes i wanted to do on my own because it was more about you have to know what I've been through before I can kind of talk to you and pry into your lives and um, you know I, I, you have to know where I my journey started and where I am now so I'm going to start with the my first experience of a mental health being alerted to mental health and um, it's not something that you think about when you're young or when you're a teenager and it definitely wasn't spoken about when I was A teenager or even when I was in my 20s so the first one was a trip to a doctor Um, I had a a chest infection um, and I went into the doctor to see him so he spoke you know he did whatever he had to do and he diagnosed it and then he said how are you feeling I said I said I don't know like I'm a bit tired I'm not really sleeping that well Um, and he he said, but, like, in yourself, you, do you feel happy, Do you you know? And I just didn't really know what the answers was. I didn't know what he was looking for, for or from me. So he, uh, he said, I think you might be, like, you know, mildly depressed. And I, I, it may be a good thing to put you on some, you know, mild um, antidepressants and some mild sleeping tablets so you can get some sleep because it's obviously so important. So I kind of came away of it not really moved by what he said just kind of okay I'll do that yeah whatever you say um I was drinking quite heavily at the time maybe five or six nights a week and you know to the extent of just kind of getting ridiculously drunk going into work hungover and it's just it's not a good place to be but so I started taking the the antidepressants and I started taking the sleeping tablets but because I at the time I wanted to escape something that I didn't know was there I hadn't a clue what it was, but I knew I didn't want to feel like myself. I was drinking an awful lot. And then I started taking the sleeping tablets and maybe I crept up to two. And then maybe I took two and a half. And, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time and she was probably thinking, what are you doing? But, you know, you don't say those things. You just kind of get in your early 20s, you just like do these things and move on to the next thing. And uh, so it kept going and I was basically blacking out and I wasn't remembering the night before. Um, and then I started to kind of get like a little bit upset about the the, um, the antidepressants. I think because what he said, I felt, and the reason why he put them on me or put me on them was, it, nothing was changing. Like I, I, I didn't feel any difference. Um, and now I'm now not sure what I was, what I wanted to feel or what I was supposed to feel, but at the time I didn't feel any difference whatsoever. So, um, I one night i was there with my housemate daniel and my girlfriend at the time louise and somehow i got into my bedroom and locked the door and took i think it was around 20 tablets now i wasn't trying to like you know i don't think i was trying to kill myself but i certainly wanted to do something different and whether it was just a cry for help in a sense i don't know now they were banging on the door. They knew I was in there, whether I told them or not. Like my memory is so vague of it, obviously. But they obviously got in. Uh, I woke up the next morning. Louise was out in the bed. Uh, there was all the, the tablet wrappers on the floor. Um, and there was a couple of tablets still on the floor. And I was so out of it that I just picked them up and just t- took them. Two, two tablets just took them. Now everything was like blurry and like, if you ever see like when in a film or a TV show when they used when they used um, the soft focus lens lenses, it's that everything on the outside of your direct vision is blurred and it's kind of um, smeared. So that's what it felt like to me. And I went down to my dad's house for for breakfast. It was a Sunday morning. I I I did that at the time, and I went down with a pack of beer. And you know, my brother was there. And my dad was there. And there was never, oh. Nobody said like what What are you doing? You know, it was just taken for granted that I was sitting there at eleven o'clock in the morning, drinking this little medicine bottle of beers that I got out of Aldi. And I felt horrible. Like you know, if I I was there for the day, obviously I don't remember much of it. I do remember going into KFC on the way home, and I like I was just after dinner, and I ordered stuff and brought it back to the house, and just I was just a mess. Like I don't. I was, at the time as well, I was doing this thing where I was chopping up the the sleeping tablets and and snorting them. So what it would do is it wouldn't just make me, it wouldn't make me sleepy. It would make me really tipsy. So my legs would almost feel like they weren't going to work properly. properly. So it was this, um, you know, I remember going down one morning to the the petrol station that was just around the corner for where I lived. And I was after snorting a couple of them and my legs were just, not really working correctly and i got to the station i got to the i remember it was funny like because i got to the petrol station at like 20 to 7 in the morning and i wanted wine and the, the lady just said no no you can't get it till 7 and i was like but well, it's like you know just going on quarter now but she, no i can't so i just had to sit outside and wait for it so this is a weird kind of moment where i was really off my face waiting for wine probably looking back in the saddest moment of my life you know where you just kind of If you saw someone else do it, you'd be like, Jesus, someone's got to help him, you know? But that went on. And the breaking point came one night when I was just, I was wasting. Now, I hadn't taken any sleeping tablets, I was just drunk. My mom lived in uh, Florida at the time, and I called her up and I was just in tears. um I was so upset. And I was like, These, I'm not taking these anymore. I'm not taking the sleep tablets anymore. I was worried about getting addicted, obviously. I'm not taking the antidepressants anymore. They're not working. And my mum was trying to calm me down the best she could from where she was and basically we were like, Okay, we won't take them, you know, it'll be it'll be fine. So I stopped taking them. But I kept drinking and I was still smoking weed, which is obviously a very bad thing to do, uh, when you're in that state because paranoia creeps in and I always felt I was having a heart attack. I'd get this little little twinge in the in the in the I suppose in the pectoral and i always think oh that's the heart you know in the left back door and i always think oh the heart um and i kept doing it and i was just like i was like i was giving myself a, a fright every time so one day i i didn't want to smoke anymore i mean uh, smoke uh, cigarettes and uh, i said right if i want to give up cigarettes i'm gonna have to stop drinking so this was like gonna be the worst thing because I every time every morning I got up I thought am I gonna to drink tonight and I think during the day will I drink tonight will I drink tonight and I was always trying to convince myself not to do it but I always did it and I brought was, went down buying you know bottles of whatever and so I said I'm gonna do it I'm gonna I'm gonna quit it I'm gonna quit cigarettes I'm gonna be like clean and a new man and it'll be all be fine so I stopped for six days I, I didn't do either and it was tough because I wasn't working at the time either so the, t- to fill the time I had to think of creative ways to do it so whether it's you know sit down and play the guitar whether it's um you know uh, not even creative things like watch films go for a walk go for a cycle whatever I did I wasn't fit at the time I was anywhere but fit at the time but I was walking a bit, was cycling a bit. So this is what I was trying to do to fill the time and I was reading and things like that. So then on six days after, I was in my house, or sorry, in my apartment. I lived in a one uh, bedroom apartment. And I remember it was the afternoon, I remember, um, what's the countdown was on, right? So I was watching countdown and I was like trying to get the, I'm good at the numbers and countdown. I'm good at the numbers, but I'm terrible at the letters. So I'm always waiting for the numbers to come around. So I'm doing that I don't remember feeling anyth- anything weird then but then uh that finished and Wimbledon was on it was the 11th of June uh, 2009 by the way so Wimbledon was on and uh, I remember Nadal was playing so but I was starting to, to pace behind the couch the, behind the couch was kind of the dining area and there was obviously a large space there where the door was so I'm pacing a bit I'm pacing a bit and I'm not really concentrating too much in the tennis and just you know back and forth back and forth and all of like out of nowhere this voice in my head my own voice in my head said go to the kitchen go to the drawer take out a sharp knife and kill yourself cut your wrists and it'll be all be it'll be all done with it'll be over now it was the scariest thought that ever entered my head but my body was desperate to respond and like agree with it and start walking to the kitchen. Now I could see the drawer where the knives were through these um there was these two windows into the or sorry, two doors into the kitchen where the and you could see through the windows. I could see the drawer and there's almost this idea of you being beckoned by this this force that this is gonna be the way to if you're not feeling well this is going to be the way to get you out. Um and I just I didn't know what to do. I got my phone. I went to the to my bedroom. I lay down flat on my bed, face face down on the pillow, and I started calling my my mom. You know, like every Irish boy does. You know, they're all we're all mammy's boys at heart. You know, so I I called her, and she was in Portugal. She was you know on her holidays. So I'm trying to describe what's happening without having any previous knowledge or skills of how to put this across without completely scaring the life out of her especially when she's not around and uh so i'm trying to tell her and she's i can hear it in her voice that she's panicking that she's not here you know that she she's um not a car uh, journey away and she goes you gotta go down to your dad's just get a straight away, doesn't matter what you're wearing, um, just jump on your bike and cycle down to your dad's. Um it'll be and it'll be grand, it'll be grand, you know. So I do what I tell do I do what she tells me. Um I cycle down. Now the next morning when I left my dad's house, the bike was outside. And I was thinking, how did the bike get here? I had no recollection of that bike. Oh, that cycle sorry so i cycled through town with just complete like completely oblivious to what was going on clearly and the mind in such turmoil that i couldn't take in the things that were around me uh, anything but when i did get down to my dad's we had a he came home from from uh, work maybe an hour after i got there and we had some dinner and like i was upset but i was trying to hide it because you know uh, guys and their dads are like oh you can't really show emotion and you know i'm gone from that now but at the time certainly i didn't want to show any emotion as to the um the extent of how i felt i suppose so we i remember the time passed and we had some dinner we uh watched a bit of television i was anxious i had this like this hollowness in the center of my chest that you know to me it felt like how i felt when i gave up uh uh, like you know i was in the process of giving up cigarettes so i was like that but maybe multiply by 10 now i was thinking maybe that wasn't the right time to give up cigarettes maybe that wasn't the right time to give up drink but that's what it was like when the drink was there as a substitute the drink was there without me knowing to replace that anxiety to to just wash over it basically so that's why i always did it that's why i always drank because it was that escape from from the, the kind of turmoil of, of anxiety or whatever you want to call it so I know then at this point, it's about half 10 at night that I'm going to go, you know, going go to bed. I'll be on my own. And uh, I went down and I could hear, I could hear a faint, you know, a trace of the TV. So it was almost like, oh, I'm, I'm safe here because my dad's just in the next room. He's awake. So if I have any problems, I can go up to him now. The problem started when I heard him go into his bedroom and then all of a sudden I was like well he's got he's asleep now. So that's what it started basically. Um I'm at one point I'm holding I've got my two arms out outstretched like crucifix like and I'm holding the edges of the mattress lying flat uh, on my on my stomach my head in the pillow. And all those thoughts were racing back. It was like, go to the kitchen, get the knife, cut your wrists. And I'm holding the the mattress because I feel that my body, uh, my brain is telling me to do it. So my body's thinking, well, I better do it. And it starts to peel, starts to peel. And I feel like I'm coming away from the mattress and I'm going to go and do the the task that I'm being asked to do. I lay there that night and my leg was shaking. Um, I have that like you know the restless leg syndrome so many people have but I'm laying in bed and the, the leg's shaking and I'm just concentrating fully on that leg just concentrating concentrating um, and the thoughts were subsiding a bit and then they were rising and then they were subsiding and it was back and forth back and forth and then oh this the light started coming up you know really early because it's June and the 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 day is coming back so the the fear of the night and the darkness and my father being asleep and me not being able to talk to anyone was kind of subsiding but what came with that then was 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 tears and I just started to cry and I was really upset really upset I was crying for like a couple of hours and until I heard my dad up in the kitchen I went up and I was just in tears and I couldn't like I couldn't say the words I couldn't explain to him but he just knew he knew by my face he knew by you know and um, the tears and that that something was seriously wrong so he took action he said look we're gonna have to we'll go to the doctor I'll walk you around before I head off to work and um, and you can have a chat with him and um, so we did and I remember he walked his bike around and I was walking with him and I didn't wasn't really saying anything I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know if I was going to have to go to, back to the apartment or what you know and I went to the surgery and I, I was with this different doctor. Uh, I'd never met him before. Um, and he, he's the one of the greatest things that has happened in this whole kind of drama of of my mental health journey is he's been so helpful. He's very reassuring. He listens to whatever you say. He's not just typing on the computer. He's, you know, he's he's, he's present in the room. um, And I told him everything and he said, okay, well, we're going to have to get a psychologist into the, you know, into the practice. Um, but Until I'm, until then, I'm going to put you on uh, some Xanax. We'll see how you get on with this dose and come back. Uh, we hope to have the, um, the psychologist in within the next day or working day or two. And then we can see what else we have to do. But for now, go with these and, um, you know, we'll see how these uh, work for you. And then I went down and he called my dad in. Now my dad has never told me what I said, but, um, I did get the sense that it was possibly that I, that I wasn't to be left on my own, that it wouldn't be a wise move. And we had to, um, I, he had to keep an eye on me or whoever else was around that I was to be kind of in people's presence at all times because, you know, I was, you know, suicidal ideation going on that he, he, they had, I had to be watched. So, uh, we left there and my dad went to work and I went, I remember going down to the the house to get like a book, I think it was a book and my my iPod or whatever it was. And we I went up to my dad's and I sat in the office at the back until his work finished. And that was like the beginning of what was to become two or three weeks of just being watched. So that's when the panic attack started i hadn't really had any panic attacks because i wouldn't call what i had with the the ideation suicidal ideation panic attacks the panic attacks were different at different situations i was not spending time on my own so i was going up to my brother's house who lived just up the road and at the time he had a a a a two-week-old uh two-week-old and an almost two-year-old would say um they were a lovely distraction, of course. You know, you go up there and you. Ava uh, uh, was the is the two year old, and you know you'd have such, you know, fun. And then you, uh, Sophie, who was like two weeks old at the time, who was born a week before it happened, and I remember, like I, uh, you know, when I hold her, when I was holding her at the time, like it was just things became so different and you come uh, you know they're so different in your mind when you're seeing you know the start of life and when you've seen what what when you want to end your life it's a weird kind of um it's a weird kind of feeling it brings you back it doesn't remove the fact that you're depressed and you really don't want to be around anymore but it certainly gives you some perspective on it on like the this new life that was in this house in my brother's house and she was so lovely and just like I just kind of kind of held on to her. And the one thing about Sophie now, she who's 10, when I see her, it just reminds me the um, the journey of on and the distance, uh, you know, the time um, between when it happened and today. And, uh, you know, they're all great, but obviously I can see that uh, in her um so i spent the time up there or i spent the time with my dad and i kind of split it because you can't spend it all with one person so when i was spending time with dad i had this like big uh this big sony uh laptop i used to work at sony so i got this big laptop and somebody had put the the harry potter films on them on it for me and i don't know much about harry potter um i still haven't seen all the films but i'd sit there in the back just watching these harry potter films nothing going in like nothing going in but look it was something to just stare at and then forget and um, i remember my mom gave me this richard yates novel i can't remember what the name of it is but she hadn't read it yet and that's, it, we realized then that it was uh it was about a guy going into a, a psychiatric hospital which was kind of you know funny bit of macabre at the time but you know these things kind of come up and it's i think it's funny anyway but So all this time we spent, I spent, you know, with with my dad. What we did then, I started to go for lunch with him. Now, he'd go up to a a restaurant, kind of cafe up the road. So I'd go with them and I didn't care if I was dressed, you know. And like, I don't, I'm not big on fashion or anything, but I take some pride in my appearance. But I just didn't then, I didn't care if I'd wash my hair. I didn't care if, you know, if I was wearing... I had these paratraxe buttons at the time which had um hot rocks holes in them you know so it wasn't it wasn't me worrying about how i looked but i used to get so anxious up there sometimes you know when they were talking about stuff and you know uh they get the, the um conversations would get heated and i'd be just feeling like getting panic attacks i could feel that the little tingle of sweat or sorry the little tingle in my arms the little like prickling of sweat in my forehead and i just I had no idea how to handle a panic attack. So I'd leave and then there was this guy in there who just tried to annoy you for the sake of it. And I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take someone uh, winding me up and normally it's fine, it's, it wouldn't matter to me now. But at the time I just did not want anybody winding me up. Uh, so I'd just walk out and um, I'd stand just inside the door downstairs until my dad came down and we'd we go back to, to, uh, back to the shop so um i i tried then i started to go to shops but it was just uh one of the bookshops in town and i'd go in and just hope that nobody talked to me and just let me look at a book and if i could buy a book and get out of there without a panic attack i would be great but the problem was the it was on the second floor so there's no escape uh you know there's no immediate um doors that you can just walk out you have to get down the escalator get down to the bottom floor turn to the right and get out the, uh, the door out to the open air so this was a fear in itself i always like to be around and i still do in a way like to know where the exits are uh, so if i do have to run i can run so we were doing that um i was i was going out to the, the extra vision that was in the town at the time um i was picking up dvds i was really trying to get back find something that could rid me of of the the depression that i was feeling or the anxiety that i was feeling i suppose i filled that void with books and and films which i still do in a way um but probably for slightly different reasons i would say uh so that was my way of getting out there um but again you worry about things when you i went back to the what, sorry, I'll explain what I was worrying about. I'll get back to uh, the doctors on the Monday, and he says um, the psychologist gets me to fill out these kind of uh, they were like questionnaires, I suppose, and you just kind of circle, you know, uh, how do you feel when you're in public? Uh, anxious, you know, very, not very, whatever. Um, and I I filled them both out, and he immediately, like in within a minute, he said it's severe anxiety and severe depression. And you, and you can kind of get away with the depression and anxiety but when you stick severe on the top of that uh, you're like oh right you see Um, it, it just frightens you that little bit more because severe is a word where you kind of go oh Jesus uh, you know and it made me it made me uh, I suppose it just made me kind of even more depressed if that makes any sense because you've what you've been going through for obviously for weeks maybe months that you hadn't known and then these the last few days before that where you don't know what it is but maybe you have an idea i suppose you have an idea you 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 know it's anxiety and you know you're feeling down you've been diagnosed with depression i think it was five years earlier um so you have an idea but but this just that word severe is obviously severe so it's a little bit more frightening So we're one episode in, just half in from, from recording and I'm lucky enough to have a sponsor for this, um, this podcast already. So I just want to give, um, give you that ad and we can get back, the, uh, get back to the podcast. Fusion Training Center, Monksland Atlone, a place to train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing, martial arts and CrossFit. A great atmosphere with experienced coaches and a real sense of community. If you want to join the team, find us on Facebook at Fusion Training Center or drop in for a chat. Fusion Training Center, train like a warrior. Thanks for that. Um, Thanks for that, Derek. I probably won't keep that ad in with this voice. I think I'll probably re-record that at some point. And, you know, maybe when guests come in who actually train there, they can stick on on a different um, variation or like a test them. Testimonial for themselves. um So, where we went from there was I remember three or four days later. Now, I'd been put on a, a mild antidepressant Lexapro at the time um, after the psych- psychologist had seen me, and I was putting a slightly higher dose of Xanax, but not actually, it's not a very high dose, and I'm still on it to be fair, but. Um, we we um I went out to my mom's house. She came back obviously from Portugal. So we I went out. My younger brother was out there. Who who's always a distraction, like in a good way. Um, he'll always take your mind off stuff. Again, we weren't going to talk about this stuff. You know, it wasn't going to be. I wasn't going to open up to um up to my brother Simon all of a sudden. But he he knew, um, maybe not the extent of how I felt, but he definitely knew that there was obviously something going on because my mom would have spoken to him, and my mother i was out there for a day i think no sorry i might have been out there for the night and i remember when she was driving me back in the next day i was looking out the window and she started crying now i was trying to hide that you know and you can't really hide that it's very difficult um and i don't know what i was crying about i think it was almost like i think it could have been a sunday and you know i was going back in, into my dad's and it was like oh here we go again we're gonna to have to go back up to the you know um my brothers and then and, and I was felt that I was kind of becoming a bit of a nuisance to people, which is a very natural thing for people. Someone with depression, they always think they're a nuisance, um. So, I I just bawled out crying, and she brought me up to the uh, my doc in the town or in the hospital, and he he was a different um. He was actually South African again, um. Very nice man, uh, And he just spoke to me, and he said, "Look, we're gonna have to, you know." Increase the Xanax. Um, see how you feel uh, tomorrow, or the next day, and maybe go back to your own doctor uh, or come back here, and we'll discuss it more. So this, look, this to me, it just, it was just rolling and rolling, and nothing was happening. And I remember reading the inlay card for the uh, for the Lexapro, and I think all antidepressants say the same thing: may increase suicidal ideation. Now, that's the last thing you want to happen. You're having it already. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, so I'm already scared going to bed. Every night I was so scared that it was going to come on again. And then it, it tells you, well, listen, yeah, that might, that might, for next six weeks, that might get worse until it gets better. So you're like, well, if it's going to get worse, what if I actually do kill myself? Like, it seems ridiculous, but I don't know the science to it, obviously. But it just seems so ridiculous to me that this might happen. And I was given a, an appointment with in, in the the Westmead uh, and the, sorry in the atlone Hospital it was the Westmead sector or whatever it's called. I can't even remember to be honest. But it was like uh, you'd go in, you'd be you'd get your evaluation, and you'd be put with a psychologist. Um. Uh, so I was put in and they they ask you the same thing every time I went in went in every two months and every time I went in it was like how are you eating how are you sleeping any suicidal thoughts you know it would go on five minutes you'd wait like you know 20 minutes in, in the uh, waiting area to go in for five minutes and chat now as was my kind of look at the time I was put in there with um, a psychologist named Fiona who was unbelievable and um, our yeah, she was a psychologist, sorry. Uh, she would give you so much space to talk. Uh, both both like um, in the sense that she would just leave you go, like leave you almost as if you were rambling. But space in the sense that she sits across the room from you. So it was like I was, at times I could feel if I turned my head and I couldn't see her the corner of my eye, I was like talking to myself like hey, I am now, I suppose. But... These, uh, she was talking to, she'd sit so far away that I just was so free to tell her what it was that was bugging me. And uh, like, I cannot thank her enough. Um, she, uh, she was my first uh, kind of step into myself to be able to kind of rationalize what I was thinking, rationalize why I was thinking it, like where my brain uh, was taking me um, and where my thoughts were going then I was given like these two lifelines again I was given this um cognitive behavioral therapist now CBT I might talk about it sometime on a a future episode but uh, it is the greatest thing and it was the best thing for me at the time his name was Kevin he he basically started me again so he said right well what do you fear and I was like anything you know going walking out this door I fear um going into town having conversations with people I fear all that like that's terrifying to me so he said well I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a a, a task each week that is going to kind of increase but the first one is all I want you to do is just get on your bike go on your own on your bike just cycle through town and cycle back the other way and just go home that's all I want you to do so look I think I can manage that and these things just increased where he'd say, right, I want you to cycle into town and go in and get a cup of tea somewhere that you've never been, like a cafe you've never been to. Um, you know, by the fourth or fifth time, it's like, go in there and uh, start the conversation. Just say, hi, how are you, how are you today? That, you know, the weather is nice or it's terrible, or whatever. Just start a conversation with the person working there. That was hard actually, but I was like, okay, I think I can do this stuff. Um, so I started to kind of come out of, of a shell where uh, there was there was this thing in my mind where it was all these little tasks were, were there were obviously goals we were setting we were writing these down but they felt like so much more than that at the time they felt like everything these were these were things that were so dramatic to me you know in, in my life these were so uh scary they were um incomprehensible really that i could do these things but then on the morning of the day i was going to do it i was like okay yeah i, I think i can't do it i can do it i can do it i could do it but then you know the, it didn't always work and sometimes i f- fell flat and it there was never any he never said oh god you know you could it was easy enough if you did last week's so it was never anything that we started writing on this whiteboard about um why it was so hard and we'd break everything down he had me do a sheet and i still have it i have it in the drawer that's actually next to me now and where i'm recording from where he for the week he got me to write out every half an hour for the whole week what i did and he could just see the routine and routines are not necessarily a bad thing not necessarily but they can be very bad because what they can do is they can keep you away, keep you from kind of spreading your wings, I suppose. They can be, if, you, if you're doing routines to avoid things, if that's your goal, if that's what you want to do, then that's an awful situation. Um, because when you, you're always going to be knocked out of your routine, it, 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 can't, it can't stay the same because things come up in life. Or you have to go somewhere or do something you have to do it so you break that routine so when you move out of it that's when the fear comes and the anxiety and the panic and that was the thing he was trying to get me out of now the people who know me well know that i have routines and strict routines but at the same time i'm able now to give myself a little bit of leeway to say okay i'd like I don't have to be in my house at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I don't have to bring the turf in. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to have something done in my life to avoid other things. It's just a routine. It's, it's not something that's solid and unbreakable. So I had to keep that in mind. And I started to do it. Um, but unfortunately, as the time went on and as the CBT was working, as we say we're just two or three months into it, uh, and I was going to Fiona and I had, you know, I was lucky enough to get quick enough um, appointments and things like that. I did have a, you know, again, I was having such sad days, you know, heavy days. Anxiety was just peaking. Like it was, anxiety was like, what I can't really describe what it does to your limbs. It feels like little prickles or, you know, um, pins and needles or something, but it's way worse than that. And everything becomes weak almost, especially in the arms for some reason. The arms and the fingers and the hands, they're just so weak and it just takes so much from you. It just absolutely exhausts you. So they started to change my medication. They started to increase the Alexa Pro. Um, uh, I think the Xanax stayed the same, but like i'm going to talk about my me- medication in the next episode but what what happens is it's like well this isn't working here but we can kind of i think it'll work here if i can swap something here and i can do this and it becomes kind of a, a mo- the, the multiplication of the of the the dosage and then the the actual change of the 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 actual uh, medication itself it all changes you and i, I i'm not what i was you know um like in my when i was 20 everything has changed because of it and everything had to change because of it and sometimes i'd like to think that i could go back and be that uh that person i was at the time but i'm not like and that's just the way it is with anxiety and, and depression it's just sometimes you can't get back to where you want to be i just want to say if there's a strange if you can hear a kind of a strange um hiss in the background it's the uh, water tank that's in the attic next to me and it's it's it needs to be fixed and it's driving me mad because i've spoken to people how i'm obsessed with the sound of this podcast and that it sounds good and there's there's nothing kind of coming in on it like there's going to be some tractors outside because it's february now so they are going to be i live on the country I live on the open and if it's very windy you'll here on the roof because i've got a low roof but i i can't do anything about that but it's that thing in the background is it's driving me mad so i hope it's not driving you mad anyway and i'm sorry to say driving you mad because it's that's just a, a phrase but it's i don't know if it's we should be saying anymore because it seems a bit you know says you're driving me mad um but look i don't want to be in that uh i'm not going for the cancel culture on this podcast i'm just gonna keep talking about myself um right so we yeah so panic attacks and and the depression and all that was what would staying it was staying there there weren't it wasn't it never seemed to leave me I don't think the anxiety has ever left me to be honest but the depression has never um has it's it it was up and down and at the time like I'm going to talk about it maybe in the next episode of the podcast about the when I when I kind of started reading up on, on bipolar disorder and um kind of self diagnosed before going to see a doctor. But um it was it was this thing that was always there and uh people as I started to I told a couple of people, very few people, but when you when you're in a in a town like a small enough town we'll say and everything that you've been doing, like you've been going out and getting, you know, getting drunk, um, you, you, you've you been smoking weed with people, uh, you've been meeting people wherever, they've been coming over to your place. When that stops, all of a sudden, the people notice, some people notice, and then it becomes, oh, well, it's easy, all right? Like, what's what was the story? And, you know, the, the kind of, I suppose the word does get around, even if you're oblivious at the time to the word getting around. um. I suppose that was I, I. was conscious conscious of everything. Sorry, everything was always going to be different now, and I had to tell the people that you know were closest to me as friends. I had to let them know my friends, my friends in in Dublin who I who I went to school with when I was up there. Um, I had to tell them. I had to tell my two or three closest friends in that loan, the people who I went drinking with, or the people who who came over over to the house or whatever. But like, I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to put it into words what it was. So it was kind of like, I just said, ah, like you know, I had a breakdown, and you know, if you if you're talking to someone on the phone, there's there is this delay then that you know there's a sign a, a couple of seconds where a breath goes in and it's like well where do we what do we talk about now I don't know because we don't know how to talk about mental health so uh, we'll just uh, move on to uh, football you know that was the thing your brain just scrambles looking for something else so I uh, I told a couple of people and people were supportive and you know I had I had my mother and my father I was lucky to have them around this was this I knew that this was going to be a long journey and I knew that whatever um, whatever about you know trying to keep it on the, on the low down I suppose and try to keep it to myself um, I wasn't going to be able to do that I was definitely going to have to um, swap everything around I remember I had to go to uh, you know obviously I wasn't working at the time so I had to go to the social welfare and these trips were the hardest things every week um, you go into the post office, and no matter what day you went in, no matter what day, it was packed with people getting their uh, their, whether it was welfare, or, you know, doing whatever people doing the the post office, and I was just terrified. And then once a month, I had to go in to the social welfare office. I had to, uh, to sign on, and which again, I used to go with my brother, because he was uh, he wasn't working at the time either, we. I had to sign on and i was just petrified uh um i just didn't want to do those things and i had to to get my money obviously but these were these everyday tasks were so like i'd be paralyzed with fear from some of them you know never mind doing things that what people do to enjoy themselves like go to concerts go to matches whatever it is nightclub pub these little little jobs like calling someone up, calling up the dead, doctors to say, Can I you know, I just wanna order my prescription. Um just hearing people's tone of voice and thinking, Oh, geez, they hate me. And it it had nothing there was no basis for that. It was it was completely ridiculous that I would think that people would hate me for calling them up. You know, and that was their job and people was calling them up all the time. Uh, and I like I wither in the in the social welfare office. I would literally, I'm, you know, six foot one, but I try to become five foot eight. You know, I try to um, pull my shoulders forward and tuck my chin towards my chest and, you know, like bring my neck in like a turtle, you know, you're just trying to disappear in a public space. And the relief when it was over the absolute you know my one my brother would uh, drive me home our wives live with my dad and I just was that oh that sense of all oh, I don't have to do that for another month but tomorrow I have to do this and then it just starts all over again and I was lucky that I had the support um that I had the, a place to live at the time in my dad's house um I could I didn't have to worry. I could do mundane tasks. Like I could have the dinner on for when he came home, you know, and that, that's, that to me was deadly. Like, cause it was just a little task that didn't involve anxiety and that didn't, you know, do anything to my, to my mood or um, to anything to affect my day. So I'd, I'd do that for him and he'd, he'd just be like, um, we'd well, be home. We'd sit and watch a film. We'd, whatever we do that evening. And it was, it was great. I never went back to the apartment where it happened. Uh, my mom and my mum, my brothers cleared it out for me. Um, and the first, I'm gonna talk. This is the last thing I'll talk about today, I suppose. But the first chink of light, the first decision I made that helped me so much was to move out to the country. The the way it happened um, was I had a friend and um, I met her through her boyfriend at the time, who was who I was close with, who I worked with, um, and he he they separated. But she had said you know if you want to move in this was before the, the breakdown you know if you want to move in um there's no problem we started like we even said like she even told me how much it would be i was like oh no that'd be pretty cool um and i i you know we kind of set the date for august so it would have been like two months after now i remember i hadn't really spoken down um as far as we both knew it was still on it was grand but i hadn't spoken to her about it and i was just i was had this thing in my mind that if I ring her up and tell her now that I've had a breakdown she's not gonna she's not gonna want to have me over like why would she you know it, it would seem like a task like what if I you know it's if I put myself in her shoes would be like what if I go into uh, the house after work one day and he's he's uh, dead what if he's you know he killed himself why he's in you know in the shower with his, his wrists um could open because that's that's a kind of a natural thing I think I don't think that's completely ridiculous that's people would think like that and i got my uh, mom to call Anne and say listen derek's you know having some mental health problems and he's she was better at voicing it out rather you know instead of me and you know he's a bit worried that you, you may not want him to move in now and Anne of course was like absolutely not like you know we of course i want him to move in there's no problem so we i remember my my brother and my mother and my brother's friend David moved all the stuff out and um, you know I didn't have to go back to the apartment which was great because I was terrified of it um we put all the things in the cars and that day we drove out and like it's not an immediate reaction it's not like you, you you're here and everything lifts but it was certainly this moment of independence came, uh, this feeling of independence this moment of uh, almost euphoria i suppose because i'd been in this house i'd stayed in this house before but i remember i had packed away my stuff and i went downstairs and i was just chatting to Anne about like where i put my food and things and she was really cool about it and she was like we could this here, you could see here you can put this here and we just were chatting at the window and it seemed so everything seemed so different like i'd i'd uh, turned a corner a very a very small uh circular um can't really have a circular corner no you can you can have a corner you know you when you walk around the corner and it's like a, it felt like it wasn't so rigid as a as a a 90 degree wall so it was like a it was like this little gentle turn that i'd made um that i and i you know gave me this moment to i've got two rooms and stuff and i'm still here this is 10 years later i still live here i'm recording this from here uh i have a room uh, next door where i just put all my dvds and i i sat there that day and i was organizing where i put my books and you know you it just felt like a like a a little mission and another thing about being out in the country was for me with my routines and things the things that kept me um kind of on the, the the straight and narrow when it becomes when it comes to the anxiety part of it was that once I got out here, like I I had a bike, so I could cycle in and out. Like it's a bit of a journey, thirty minutes maybe into town. But once I cycle out here and close the door, that was it. It was just I could come upstairs and watch TV. If I wanted some company, I'd go downstairs and talk to Anne. Anne was fully aware of where I was in my life, and she was very, very, um. Uh, how would you? St- if you wanted to talk about with Anne she'd chat away to you about it no problem and maybe give you some um maybe give you some tips on how you could kind of chill out or you know um maybe feel a bit better about yourself feel a bit happier but if you didn't want to talk about something like that you could just that was fine i'd be sitting down there uh, down there with her now which, which i still do oh wait, hit the mic with my hand um i sit down there which i still do and i read the books and she watches tv and we just that's what we do and it's great so I'm still here uh, in every way I'm still here I'm still alive I'm still in this house um, this is this is a new challenge for me this um, I suppose it's today I spoke about everything I wanted to speak about I have the next episode will be uh, you know I will be talking about how I've moved on from from certain things and how maybe some things have stayed the same but you know i want to talk about my the the effects of of mental health on on my relationships with people i want to talk about how i've approached um you know how i figured out and i was helped along with ways to uh make myself feel better um you know whether it was writing or I, i was you know staying fit uh joint infusion remember the ad i just did um I want to talk about also about missing things like missing concerts and events and, you know, not being able to attend certain things that I wanted to attend and how that makes me feel, and how others can make me feel better about that. I also want to talk a bit about the medication, uh, you know, different medications I'm on, um, you know, what I wanted to, what I wanted to try with the doctors, but they may not have been, may not have thought was the right route for me. And I want to talk a little bit about the treatments worldwide for depression and how maybe you know Ireland could do with trying out something like that. Just, you know, mix it up a bit. Um but anyway, that's for the next episode. Listen Uh I what I want to do is I want to promote my um my platforms, you know, the things, whatever are called. I'm so bad with I'm absolutely awful with with um, social media and stuff like that. And I'm sure I wrote all this stuff down. And now I can't find it. But um, we'll just keep talking until I can see it somewhere. I definitely wrote it down somewhere. But you can hear those pages. What a great sound. Um, Yeah, I think I've lost them immediately. Uh, But listen, I'm I'm on. uh, The Weekly Weekly is on. Oh, oh, I found it. Um, The Weekly Weekly is on Twitter it's the weekly weekly uh, brackets podcast um, it's on Facebook the weekly weekly podcast um, it is on oh it's on Instagram I think it's weekly or sorry weekly the weekly uh, it's on Instagram um, it is also on and I'm going to give you the pod class, uh, podcast platforms that you can listen to it on uh, Podbean Anchor it's on Apple it's on Google Podcasts. It's on Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Breaker. If you can, if you have the resources to do so, um Oh sorry, did I say Spotify? It's on Spotify also. If you have the resources to do so, could you listen to it on the podcast platforms? Um because I'm also putting it on YouTube. Now that's for people who may not have the resources of the podcast platforms. If you have the resources, could you please do it on there? Um, if there is a subscribe on on those on each of those different uh, platforms please subscribe and like or whatever you have to do um, you know the story i think that's all my promotion for for my social media yeah um we were thinking about recording it like face you know recording my face and putting it on youtube we're not going to do that because nobody wants to look at my face on youtube but it'll be on there um and you'll hear it and please you know even if you want to leave a comment that's cool if you want to leave a comment on facebook do that um if you've got any tips if you've got any people that you think are a, a, a good idea to come on you know professionals or or just you know non-professionals as well but if you know people you think that they could add something i appreciate it so much i've got some names down already so we're ready to go but uh if you could that'd be absolutely brilliant um Oh, look, I've just actually found the social media where I've written them all down and it was right under my nose all the time. But I think I got them right. Yeah, I think I did. So, lastly, all my thanks go to John Francis for his tech support because I would not be able to do anything that he did. And um, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Um, a big thanks to Jer Lynch for, for creating the logo, which I think is so cool. He, he put out a few of them. Um, I picked one that I loved. He also gave me some advice on the laptop I had to get that would be good for recording podcasts. My mind would not even have gone there. Um, I'd like to thank my mom, my dad, and my grandfather for their emotional support and their financial support over Christmas because it made me be able to afford the laptop the mics whatever else i needed so listen uh can't thank you enough for listening it's just, i'm so honored that someone would take the time out to listen to me talk about my mental health for an hour uh this is the start of it you know we'll keep it going we'll next week will be me but then we're we'll bringing on guests after that and it's going to be cool it's going to be great fun thank you so much for listening and we will talk next week bye